This week in the parish of Bourses and Market Structure, SIBO buys Chai X APAC, making the Australian monopoly ASX only the second largest exchange group in Sydney. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode 87. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the week's many events and happenings can be found in Exchange Invest's daily subscriber newsletter, the unique guide to the bourse business sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. There was a story for the Bermuda Triangle of Human Relations moves this week as LSEG surprised by announcing a new head of the FTSE Russell Index Unit. Some say the most surprised of all by this announcement was the outgoing FTSE Russell boss, Wakar Samad. It's certainly shocking that out of a payroll of 23,500 people amongst the combined London Stock Exchange Group Refinitiv Behemoth, LSEG couldn't find anybody in-house to do this job. Thus, they used an expensive consultant to find somebody who has apparently never worked in indexing or an exchange to head the enormous indexing group at a major exchange. One potential saving grace was soon dashed, aka initial hope it might be a diversity appointment proved an acute accent short of a lady. So, Leia Carty is apparently male. As this is LSEG, one can never, of course, be sure. Exchange Invest nowadays check photographic evidence in the absence of there having any viable communication structure at Paternoster Square. Anyway, with 55,000 share options making for a circa £3.5 million bonus en route, it's not been a bad brief ride for Wacker Samid during his tenure with LSEG. Thus, Mr. Carty has no direct experience working in an exchange and apparently no experience working in indexing, but he now leads one of the world's largest index franchises in an exchange group. What I find most astonishing is the management message this recruitment sends to the recently acquired but never conquered by the management, Refinitive Payroll. Internal morale at Refinitive never exactly soaring since, well, now let me see, let me check back one minute. Um, well, some say it was high in the 1980s in the Dark Ages, PB, that's pre-Bloomberg. So anyway, look, internal morale at Refinitive, never high at the best of times, is going to have taken a knock. The message that amongst their 18,500 Refinitive colleagues, the London Stock Exchange Group had to choose somebody who once headed buy-side relations at Bloomberg, sends out at best a mixed message to investors, and indeed to staff as well. At the same time, the Brussels Bugle has caught up with the significant reservations Exchange Invest has had about the London Stock Exchange Group acquisition of Refinitive since the day after it was announced on August 1st, 2019. Investors' doubts rise over the LSE's takeover of Refinitiv, went the Financial Times headline, with their writers noting, David Schwimmer, chief executive, and Don Robert, the chair, have little experience of merger integration. Reality bites, ladies and gentlemen. Let's face it, 
This merger was a heady mix of fantasy with little application of logic. It's the merger and acquisitions equivalent of Kristen Wiig's latest movie, Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, albeit without the jokes or Jamie Dorman. It's a heady mix of Floridian beachside fantasy and precious little grounding in reality. Now that's the movie as opposed to the M&A deal we're talking about, although the same thing could be said of both. The history of the London Stock Exchange Group looks to now be one of hubris and competence and greed from the current perspective. There's no management, only spin, hype and a ludicrous politicking. AKA the London Stock Exchange Group trying to outdo Refinitiv at its own hyper-unproductive politicking game. From the snippets emerging about the new LSEG structure, it appears to resemble a management milfoy, albeit with any cream staying stubbornly between the sheets of pastry, never to be shared with stockholders. Cheer up! The worst is yet to come, as Philander Chase Johnson famously enjoined readers during a particularly dire article in Mad Magazine many years ago. In COVID Corner this week, the Philippine Stock Exchange have temporarily shut their trading floor. It's closed from March the 25th to April the 4th because COVID. And equally, the Jamaica Stock Exchange, Jam StockX, they have announced that there will be market trading only running for two hours on both Friday 26th of March and Thursday the April 1st, again because of COVID restrictions. Over in Brexit this week, a simple message as reported by Reuters. Customers decide where to clear euro swaps, Deutsche Bank tells the EU. Of course, the question here is, is the EU listening? Meanwhile, the UK is staying with open free markets as its approach, which simultaneously advantages Britain and shows up the EU's narrow-mindedness, goes forward. It's genuinely a tragedy to see the European Union descending into the gutter of protectionism and abject failure on all fronts as it flails with increasing desperation and malice at the UK for having the temerity to leave the European Union. A vaccine export ban is being proposed, which if passed will amount to a perpetual monument of shame demonstrating the loss of morality, efficiency, form, sight and leadership from Brussels. Right now, even the most dire predictions of the Brexit campaign look to be eerily correct. Hashtag scary, I think. Britain is right to keep its markets globally compliant and demonstrate that the UK is open for business to the world, where tragically the European Union has closed itself to progress. As Fraser Myers in Spiked Online notes this week, there is no polite way to say this, but the EU is behaving like a psychopath. I think that rather tragically sums up this horrible mess in one sentence. Back in the parish, the people hurting from the EU's blinkered intransigence over swaps trading are the Eurozone headquartered banks themselves with branches in London. Meanwhile, even that bastion of remaining in the European Union, the British Upper House, the House of Lords, have noted in a report this week that EU financial market access may not be worth the restrictions imposed by the European Union's hyper-precautionary approach to constraining markets. Apparently, some form of EU pact with the UK may even appear in the course of the next month, according to British government sources. Let's see. Watch this space. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. 
One set of results reported this week as we bade farewell to an independent IHS market. Of course, they're being snaffled up by S&P Global. Lance Ugla, as CEO, reported a final earnings beat. In deals, it was a busy week for deals in the parish. All the deals were in exchange invest. The newsletter, no person can afford to be without in capital markets and market structure. For the sake of this podcast, we only have time for a few edited highlights. The London Stock Exchange is looking to sell its first international bond issue to keep financing the rapacious demands of Refinitiv. Expect some four to five billion pounds worth of new bonds on top of the existing stock of 3.8 billion pounds worth, which is in issue. The new stock is expected to be debt issued in dollars, pounds and euros. Presumably that will also help cover the recruitment consultant fees costs at FTSE Russell. Meanwhile, in a masterpiece of unfortunate timing, TPI Cap completed their ill-considered overpriced purchase of LiquidNet with news that the value of that acquisition has already been further eroded. For CBOE, global markets are acquiring the Australian ChiX and indeed also their Japanese cousin, all parts of ChiX APAC. Thus, with the acquisition of some serious APAC Asia-Pacific interests, SIBO global markets are now actually truly global, or at least much more global, than their previous seriously international but Asia-free footing. JC Flowers have sold their ChiX APAC assets, giving SIBO a vast bourse platform in Japan, albeit one which rather bleeds money, and a very healthy one in Australia. The embattled Australian Securities Exchange ASX now has a serious monster-sized competitor, Europe's largest stock trading venue and much else besides in their own backyard. Bring that competition on, I say. The sluggish Australian monopoly will doubtless be vaulting their toys out of the pram as the reality sets in that their Aussie monopoly makes them only the second largest trading group in Australia thanks to SIBO's rather hefty holdings in the rest of the world. Now we are going to doubtless see bids APAC 2 as slide 4 of the SIBO IR presentation notes. That means further market share degradation for LiquidNet. Thus, in the case of TPI cap, as one deal closes, another door shuts. Having lost market leadership to BATS with first the USA and then Europe, now their block trading lead of LiquidNet can be expected to dwindle right across the world. For SIBO, it's an interesting deal, especially if they can extract tangible value from the relatively sickly Japanese franchise, while the Philippine IT Development Office is a handy asset in the world of tech staff additions. See also, for example, Nasdaq's recent acquisition of Verifin in a similar vein of lower-cost and relatively sticky technology staff addition. ChiX, powered by SIBO, gives heft to the need to prize open the Australian monopoly. Hopefully the politicians in Canberra will open to a free market rather than hanging on to their rather defeatist European Union-style approach. In new markets this week, we're still in Sydney. The focus there, as this podcast was being edited, was on welcoming FEX Global to the parish of operating exchanges. Good luck to the FEX team with their launch, which took place on Friday, March the 26th, in downtown Sydney at their HQ. FEX Global has been in a sort of plain sight stealth mode for some time and now operates centrally cleared futures and options for the energy, environmental and commodity product classes with clearing coming from the CME Group's CCP. 
It was another fabulous discussion, this time about the sustainable city, with the aldermanic sheriff of the City of London, Michael Minnelli, this week on IPO Vid. Catch the recording of the live stream on YouTube. Search for ipo-vid.com. Coming this week, it's tech veteran Colin Howard, who has been pioneering digital things since the 1970s. He's going to be discussing innovation, data, and the sovereign individual. IPO-vid, the live stream you can't afford to miss every Tuesday evening at 6pm London time. In Cryptoland this week, one delayed deal, Coinbase have paid $6.5 million to settle American false reporting charges. That's caused them to delay their listing. Will a month of delay be enough for the market to forget their recent transgressions? Well, we'll see during the month of April, I suppose. There's only one daily news source for the business of bourses, Exchange Invest, the exchange of information. Exchange Invest publishes the daily digest of everything in the market structure industry around the world in a user-friendly email briefing format from Monday to Friday. With additional pith by former Exchange CEO and long-standing fintech pioneer Patrick L. Young, yes, that's me, Exchange Invest is the unique one-stop shop for the daily news in markets, market operators and related functions. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. In product news this week, while they ended the week with the announcement that they are only the second biggest exchange group with offices in Sydney, the ASX started it with a total shambles. ASX blames human error for Airtasker listing botch, went the headline in the Sydney Morning Herald come Monday morning. The IPO of Airtasker was delayed due to some elementary errors by the ASX itself. The measured response of Airtasker's CEO Tim Fung ought to have brought out a vigorous regulatory and management response as this ASX incompetence surely encroached on bucket shop levels. The tragedy, and the bit which discredits the parish, is that ASX have hardly had a flawless run in their core operations for some years now. Rather, Australia's monopoly provider of exchanges has become so incapable of core processes that it's forgetting to bring its needles for the day's knitting. The ASX response was risible, telling the Australian Financial Review ASX has an accountability culture. Subsequently, Airtasker came to market days late and the shares soared. Rumours abound the stock was ticking up on an influx of ads from the Australian Securities Exchange seeking people to help their exchange run more efficiently. Technology news this week. China has announced a venture with SWIFT, the banking, one might call it technology entity, but that's a rather loose definition of the word technology, I suppose, these days. It's a rather defensive move, giving China optionality as hostilities on the trade front continue to boil over with the United States of America, despite there being a Biden presidency. Rumor has it the Chinese Institute of Archaeology is providing some programmers from their runic technology division so the Chinese banks can get to grips with the archaic SWIFT system. Remind me, what is the Mandarin for punch card being the order of the day for integration conversations? Crowdfunding this week. As the Bahamas enter the crowdfunding market, the UK has reached an antitrust decision and the Commission has said no to the tie-up of crowd-cuban cedars. This is a sensible decision. The notion the market leaders needed to merge to create an overwhelming monopoly to make a profit was undermined by their charges being 500 to 700 basis points. On those numbers, inability to profit 
is remarkable where conventional exchanges are often pilloried for being deemed to profiteer by some on gross charges of circa 1,000 of the prevailing crowdfunding rates of crowdfunders, Crowdcube and Cedars. In People News this week, just the one headline we're going to pick out, R.I.P. G.V. Ramakrishna. His legacy as the original chairman of SEBI from 1992, including, of course, the epic moment where they created the National Stock Exchange of India. Now let's take a couple of salutary macro numbers to finish this week. For those who think money printing has no consequence, Venezuela have issued a 1 million Bolivar note, which is equivalent to 50 US cents. Second of all, in a week where firing the central bank chief only caused an acceleration of the run on the Turkish lira, we saw a peak of Turkish lira overnight swaps at 1,160%. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young. Thanks for listening to this, the IPO Vid Weekly Podcast. Don't forget to catch the live stream on Tuesdays at 6pm London time. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you a great week in life and markets. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.